0: Great. Well, I'm really excited to be here today with Billy Boyle, who is the CEO and the founder of Owlstone Medical, which if you haven't heard of it, is a breath biopsy company based here in Cambridge. So I'm actually in here uh, in the Owlstone office with Billy. Normally we do these remotely, but it's much better. We can do it in person because we can have a real conversation. Uh, I'm going to do a slightly longer intro just because I find Billy's company so fascinating. They have a mission to save 100,000 lives and more than a billion dollars pounds. dollars, Dollars, billion dollars in uh, funding or in in costs of healthcare from early detection. And they have a very unique platform technology called a breath biopsy, which Billy will tell us more about. But they work in lung diseases like asthma, COPD, also lung cancer, mesothelioma. Uh, I, If you're familiar with Illumina, the genome sequencing company, they're a little bit like the Illumina of breath. And I think Billy will be able to tell us more why breath is such an interesting new diagnostic category and some more about the founding of the company. So it's great to be here, Billy, and thanks for having us.
1: Thanks for having me on the show. I was
0: wondering if you could just take us back to the founding of Al- on why you uh, started the company in the first place and, and and what brought you here.
1: Yeah, so the company was originally a spin out from Cambridge University. So me and two other guys were engineers at the engineering department and we were working on chemical sensor technology. So a microchip chemical sensor that you can program to sniff out different chemicals. And what made it special was you could program it to detect different chemicals just by changing the software. So there's a range of applications that we could have applied it to. So that includes security, industrial applications. But we also had in mind, you know, can you use this in diagnostic type applications to look at, you know, for biomarkers of different diseases. So we originally founded the business back in 2004. Uh, And the focus at the outset was around the security and industrial applications. So that way we were able to get a lot of funding from US investors, but also the US government to help try and mature the technology. So back in 2016, we started to look a little bit more at the use of the technology in medical and diagnostic type applications, but realized it's a totally different business. So we decided to spin Alstom Medical out as a separate company, which we did back in 2016. And since then, we've grown to a team of about 170 people.
0: What was the very first application of the technology? It's amazing how you can just change the software to pick up new chemicals. I hadn't realized that. Maybe we can talk more about how that actually works. What was the very first application?
1: Yeah, so the technology is a bit like a mass spec on a chip, so you can detect these different chemicals. Uh, And the original focus was around toxic gases, explosives, but also industrial chemicals as well. And that could be everything right. from contamination in crude oil. So we have our technology deployed on oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico right. looking for uh, methanol and crude oil, hydrogen sulfide scavengers, you name it. So right. you have this very uh, broad ranging uh, set of applications from the same technology. Right. There.
0: And so what? how does that then link to lung conditions? What is it that you're detecting in asthma, COPD, lung cancer?
1: How does that link get made? So what was interesting for us was we were starting to look into the scientific literature and we saw you know people have been looking at breath from the early 70s, actually. Yeah. So if you read any breath paper, it all says back in 1971, Linus Pauline blew into a mass right. spec and there are some chemicals there. Uh, and what we were trying to do was say, OK, well, these chemicals are present. So that's objectively the case. Right. Uh, we have this technology that you can program to look for specific chemicals. Can we bring the two together to have a diagnostic test? Right. What we found, though, is as we started to look into the literature more and more, there actually wasn't a lot of agreement between the reported biomarkers and something like lung cancer, for instance. Right. So you might have 100 papers on lung cancer. But you know, paper one says something different from paper two. And actually what that meant was we addressed or saw some of the challenges in the field that you know people hadn't really solved the issues of how do you get a good sample. Right. They hadn't really run large enough studies and they hadn't validated a lot of those biomarkers. So actually what we decided to do is it's not, just about programming the chip with a set of chemicals the real problem you're trying to solve is what are those biomarkers associated with disease be it lung cancer or you know any other disease really
0: right and and how do you decide whether because i know you all focus on early detection Mm. because i think you you think that that's where you can have the biggest impact and and it's it's logical that if you can stop it before it gets to stage two, three, four, Mm -hmm. then it's better. What made you decide to focus on early detection versus starting at the other end, for example, late stage cancers or other lung conditions and trying to better diagnose or treat at that point.
1: So if you if you look at the cancer problem, so if, if you pick it up at a late stage, the survival chances are very poor. Right. Uh, so I think there's a role to try and select better therapies at that stage. But you know, the reality is most patients won't uh, recover from the disease. So, yeah, you know, what we realize is if you know there's a single lever that you could pull that would transform the landscape, right. it's early detection. Survival chances are ten times better and treatment costs are ten times lower. And it was actually my wife was diagnosed with late stage colon cancer. Right. And she died as a result of that. And that's how I became aware of, you know, the scale of the problem. Because there's yeah. millions of families just like ours and the true importance of early detection, because the survival chance for her would have been 90% if it had been picked up at early stage, as opposed to 5% when it's picked up at late stage.
0: Was uh, was that a big part of the impetus for you personally to dive headlong into this challenge of early detection? How did that coincide with the, with the shifting strategy of the business?
1: Yeah, massively. So I think at the outset, we had this interest in diagnostic applications yeah. You know, it became very real and concrete for me with my wife getting uh, the late stage cancer. And that's when I started to understand the significance of the problem. But also around that time, what we've been doing was starting to work with academic uh, uh, researchers, who were taking our technology, integrating it into clinical yep. studies, and trying to see you know, other biomarkers associated with right. colon cancer, for instance. So they were starting to get some promising results. So we had this kind of uh, set of things happening where realizing the importance right. of early detection, some promising initial pilot data coming out, and us then thinking, okay, well, there's a, right. a problem that needs to be solved here, and we think we can uh, have a role to play
0: and your your breath biopsy technology is being used in the NHS in some capacity right now right what's uh, through a couple of innovation grants and and other early stage programs
1: so at the moment's all about research products and yep. services so you know ultimately to save lives and save money you need to develop breath biopsy tests to pick up cancer right. sooner or get patients on the right therapies and respiratory disease Uh, For that, you need to have biomarkers. So what we're trying to do at the moment is discover and validate biomarkers. And we do that two ways. One is we uh, try and identify problems ourselves that we will fund clinical studies in, so lung cancer, for instance. But what we've also done is made the breath biopsy platform available to research uh, customers, academic customers, clinicians who, you know, they understand the problem very well. You know, you might have someone trying to find biomarkers of tuberculosis, other infectious disease, other cancers. uh, And, you know, they're trying to say, well, other volatile chemicals in breath could be used there you know the reality is you don't know until you go looking right. for them so what we do is make the technology available to those partners so they can conduct that research get high quality data and for us it allows us to see you know, what's the utility of breath chemicals across a range of different applications
0: Yeah, and it seems like the way you can have the biggest impact, right? You're not limited by you and your team's imagination. I'm sure you have a a very bright bunch here, but if you open it up to the world, then you'll be continually surprised, right, by how people actually apply the technology.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we we understand our platform uh, very well, but, you know, what we've seen is clinicians, researchers, you know, they really understand those clinical problems that need to be uh, solved. Right. And I think them coming to us... Uh, using the platform gives us the best of both worlds you know, what are the problems that really need to be solved and using the technology that gives you the best quality data to see is there a solution there
0: can you explain exactly how the for for person taking a breath biopsy or using it whether it's part of a, a clinical study or other kind of research mm-hmm. how it works i know how it works because we've helped recruit some patients yep. to some of your early studies and it's quite amazing it's it's obviously completely non-invasive and painless you just strap the mask onto your face and you breathe normally but how does it go from there You've, you breathe into this uh, essentially a kind of large breathalyzer and then it gets shipped off uh, to the lab or what happens yeah, from there that's
1: right so i think breathalyzer is the, the key word so when you look on breath you know, objectively or thousands of chemicals are some produced in the airways most actually originate from the blood which makes sense right. you exchange oxygen co2 from blood to the airways Uh, So there's really two bits of the platform. The first is collecting all of these uh, chemicals from breath into a storage cartridge. So that storage cartridge is a bit like a sponge, if you like. Right. So the chemicals from the breath, you just breathe normally. They stick to the sponge-type material uh, in the cartridge. And that actually was one of the big issues the field had before that. Because when we were looking at a lot of the research that happened before, often you'd have clinicians that had a clinical application but they didn't necessarily have the engineering solution to collect the right sample. If you don't get the right sample, you're gonna get the wrong answer, irrespective of how you analyze it. So the sample's collected uh, and it's very stable when it's on this cartridge. And that's important because it means it can be shipped from anywhere around the world. So some of the studies we do at the moment are with the likes of the Cleveland Clinic or the Mayo Clinic where samples can be sent to our lab here in Cambridge. So once it's in the lab, you have different choices. Uh, As I mentioned, we have our uh, Microchip technology and if you know the compounds you want to look for, you can program it into that and look for those there. But as I mentioned, the real problem at the moment is the biomarker discovery piece. Right. So we've built the breath biopsy lab, we've partnered with the likes of Thermo, where we use GC mass spectrometry to do uh, the discovery workflows. Right. And the discovery workflows will essentially allow you to capture as many chemicals in breath as possible, analyze as many chemicals in breath as possible, and with the information you get from the clinical sites, which may be, does the patient have cancer, yeah. are they are control? Then our data scientists can try and interpret the data sets right. and say, well, actually, these chemicals look like they do relate to the disease.
0: Are there any um, are there any findings in the last couple of years that you guys have found that you're that you're really proud of or that were unexpected out of these um, these collaborations?
1: Yeah, so I, I think before we initiated trials, as I said, we've been working with the research community for quite a while, yeah. and they've, you know, I think up on our website. There's over a hundred published papers and posters uh, at the moment. You know, the one thing I'd Say is initially, there are pilot studies, you know, the sample numbers are small, so you always yeah. have to be quite careful there. And I kind of, if it's not, you know, validated in an independent population, right. I don't believe don't that basically, it. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's the, uh, you know, we try to keep the skeptical guard high, you right. know, to make sure that you know we're putting the resources in the right yeah. place and you know you don't uh, you don't fool yourself from small studies. Um, I think what. Is really exciting uh, uh, happening over the last year. Really, is um, what we started to realize is that as well as just looking at the chemicals which are produced from within the body, so the metabolites, yeah. the volatile metabolites that you know come from blood out into the airways, uh, we've pioneered an approach called exogenous VUC probes, which is essentially right. uh, the patient. Uh, Ingests a very safe compound, right? And it's going to be metabolized in a particular way, yep. uh, And that could be by liver enzymes, or mm, metabolized right. differently by a tumor, for instance. Uh, and then we're trying to look to see what are the resultant metabolites right. on breath. So the the analogy that we have it's a bit like if if you think about imaging, so a PET scan, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, we know a tumor takes up a lot of glucose you are given a labeled uh, uh, glucose substrate right. and you put someone in a scanner, you can see the tumor. Can you do the same thing by looking at chemicals in breath as opposed right. to having to put someone in the scanner? And if we can do that, that means you get all the ben- benefits of breath being non-invasive, uh, but you're also getting much higher sensitivity and specificity in those tests. So that I think is something that we're particularly excited about uh, that we've put a lot of research focus into. That's
0: uh, that's really interesting. So it's kind of like a tracer that you can yeah, use and, yeah, exactly. and introduce something that you know is fixed, which then allows you to understand more about
1: exactly, that. Right. Right. Exactly right. And from the the technical development standpoint, it also simplifies certain things. When you're trying to do biomarker, Discovery, if you take the needle in the haystack approach, you need a lot of samples. Right. So in our lung cancer study, where you are recruiting thousands of patients there because you don't know at the outset what yeah. the chemicals of interest are. So if you administer these evoke probes, these exogenous probes or right. tracers, you know what it is, right. you know what the levels are going to be. So it simplifies the, the trials you need to design, right. and it means that you can run those studies sufficiently powered with fewer numbers of patients.
0: How big is the universe of possible volatile organic compounds that you could detect from the breath, and, and how, how many do you detect, or how many are relevant even, worth, worth looking at, as far as we know, for it, some of these conditions? It's
1: a great question, and it's not known yet. Right. So what I would say is that you know, w- when you look on breath, Uh, you have a lot of volatile organic compounds there, and it's a mix of endogenous compounds, so compounds produced in the body and exhaled, but you also have exogenous compounds, so these can be uh, essentially things that come from the outside world into the body and out again. So if you smoke, for example. Exactly, exactly. And this is very interesting because if you think about these tracer compounds, that's effectively what you're looking at. You're looking at an ingested compound, seeing how it's been metabolized by the body, And that can then tell you, well, you will metabolize pharmaceutical drugs differently or you have liver disease or fatty liver. Uh, So I think these exogenous compounds actually uh, historically have been disregarded. People have thought, oh, it's chemical noise. Ignore that. But actually, I think this is one of the most promising areas of research to help probe particular clinical questions. Uh, And also, if you think about... What causes disease? you know your genetics are about risk, but you know it's environmental exposure that you know, yeah. ultimately leads to disease. So if you think about looking at exogenous compounds related to air pollution, for instance, uh, I think there's a lot of interest and potential there to uh, see what your actual uh, likelihood of developing diseases given exposure factors, right. uh, in addition to the early detection problem.
0: Yeah, because what I think what people tend to overhype genetics to some extent. Um, what's powerful about it is you have you can only do you only need to do it once, yep. right? And it never changes. But it yep. doesn't mean that it's your destiny or predictive. Actually, things like your breath or your microbiome or your transcriptome that are closer to when you develop the disease are almost certainly going to be more predictive, except in rare diseases where the genetics has a very large impact. So how, how do you guys fit your technology in alongside of some of the existing biomarkers, blood-based biomarkers like, um, you know, cholesterol and those kinds of things that we're used to every day and new ones like genetics do you see them fitting in in a complementary way yeah
1: ultimately it's about giving clinicians uh, more comprehensive information Uh, but I think you you hit a very important point that you know with breath and other types of uh, analyses of metabolites for instance you have a more accurate representation of the actual phenotype right you know your genotype is about the risk as you say of developing diseases Uh, And, you know, what I would say for breath is that uh, the limitation is you're limited to the volatile fraction. So things like cholesterol, for instance, aren't particularly volatile. So you're not necessarily going to get a measurement of that on breath. Where we see it having a real role to play is in uh, uh, applications where, you know, compliance is a big issue. So if you think about screening type applications, if you take colon cancer as an example, Yo, know, tests exist today, beta-colonoscopy or fecal-based tests, you know, the fecal-based test sensitivity and specificity is not very good, but actually a big issue is the compliance issue. People don't right. like it, so they don't show up. Uh, so I think what we see is that on the one hand, you can address the compliance and test accessibility issue right. with breath because it's the ultimate non-invasive test. It's the only anytime any place sample yeah. matrix. But then we also look at applications where we think, okay, well, these volatile compounds in breath, were, uh, do they give you a unique capability that you can't easily get right. through other types of approaches like urine or blood-based approaches. So that's particularly true around respiratory disease, for right. instance. So if you think around asthma, COPD. You know, at the moment, a lot of those therapies are prescribed on a trial and error basis. Right. Start with a cheap drug, increase the dose, right. doesn't work with an expensive drug. Uh, but, you know, the if you're looking for chemicals being produced by cells directly in the airways, that help say, well, your inflammatory subtype looks like this, and right. therefore you should take this drug at the start. That is uh, a problem that we think you can uniquely solve uh, using right. breath. So I would say we tend to look at the applications on a case by case basis and say, is there a need? You know, is there already a test that's doing right. you know, a pretty good job? Uh, you know, is there a, a, a unique advantage that you can deliver with breath and Volatiles?
0: Right, and, and I suppose also to that point about putting people into subtypes, you can also probably start to tell very quickly if a treatment is working, right? You probably can see people shift from the disease state to the interremission remission or, or other um, non-disease state in real time or close to real time as you take breath samples. Right? Yes,
1: yeah, and I, I, I think, you know, with our research products and services business, a lot of work that we do is with pharma clients. And I would say nine times out of ten that's what they're most interested right. in. you know there's a new therapy you're gonna give it to a patient and you're trying to determine whether or not they're responding to that therapy uh or not because you know some of the emerging drugs are expensive, right. so you wanna you know steer the expensive drugs to the patients so that'll benefit from it
0: yeah absolutely do do you um do you foresee a future where you can mail these tests to people to do them at home thinking about digital clinical trials or mm-hmm. remote clinical trials where people may not even need to go into a, a site or you could dramatically cut down the frequency my understanding is at the moment it has it, it's a pretty lightweight system that you have mm-hmm. but you do have to go to um uh you know yeah. a, a room somewhere to administer the test is it possible to miniaturize it eventually in that way it,
1: it, it is for sure i think the with the current device as you say it's a a small handheld device that you can collect a sample on. What's neat about it is you can essentially collect a sample anytime, any place. So if you think about something like lung cancer screening, for instance, so at the moment in the U.S. you have things like Lodo CT, you know, the patient has to go to a secondary care center where there's a CT scanner. You know, they got to get the scans on. Actually, if, You have a breath test, you can start to think about capturing the sample in the community, be that in the GP surgery, pharmacy, those types of places. So I think, in the first instance, you don't necessarily need to go straight to uh, home collection. And actually, if you're thinking about cancer screening, I think it's better in the first instance to make sure that you know a clinician is part uh, of that process because you will have screening guidelines that would suggest you know once a year once every two years whatever uh, it may be for a particular cancer type so i think it's about how you can uh, uh, access patients who would otherwise be difficult to access and how you can help them overcome the compliance or fear of the test right. as well, because people don't like colonoscopies, they don't like blood draws. Uh, and what we find in all the clinical trials that we've done and the partners have done is that unsurprisingly, breath is very well accepted by the patients. Yeah, patient.
0: absolutely. If you had to make some predictions around which technologies or timeframe for early detection of cancer. Mm. Um, There are a number of different companies. Grail uh, Mm -hmm. was, I think, spun out of Illumina. They've spent hundreds of millions of dollars trying to develop a DNA-based test for circulating tumor Mm -hmm. DNA. There are tons of other companies that are all going after this question of how do we detect cancer as early as possible for mm-hmm. the same motivations that you have—the mm-hmm. the earlier the better—in terms of cost savings, patient lives, etc. What predictions would you have around that technology? When are we likely to see something in a in a mass market situation? Mm-hmm. And what technologies? I'm sure you are betting on your technology as one of the horses, but are there
1: others that you that
0: you find as interesting? Yeah, I
1: I think the great thing is. There is a lot of focus and a lot of investment dollars, yeah. and you know, smart people thinking about the problem now. And that wasn't the case until relatively recently. So again, if you think about the biggest impact you can have in cancer, it is detected early. Yeah. So in some regards, I just want someone to solve so the problem. If someone solves it. You know? Then we'll So the more people are trying, the better fundamentally, yeah. you know, from the patient perspective. Uh, you know, when we look at um, liquid biopsy and compared to breath biopsy, and um, so you know, the first thing is breath biopsy, we apply it to uh, a lot of other applications as well. So as I mentioned, we do a lot in respiratory disease, yep. drug metabolism, those types of things as well. So we see fundamentally what we're trying to do is establish breath as a new diagnostic category right. for us to really own this category, be the market leader, control the value chain and launch tests across a range of different uh, applications. Yeah. Uh, when you think about the early cancer problems specifically, uh, I think uh, you know, again we only underpinning you know, platform labs, uh, which is a little bit different compared right. to some of the, the liquid biopsy players, which are essentially you know, having to Send source technologies samples, yeah. from aluminum and those types of things. Um, you know, so it's uh, a little bit different in terms of the ultimate. Uh, positioning and your know, aspiration of what we're trying to do if if you think about the likely performance uh you know i think uh some of the stuff that we've seen suggests that if you're looking at a late stage cancer and therapy choice for late stage cancer you know liquid biopsy performs very right. well uh it's a little bit more challenging at earlier stage, uh, and that's particularly true if you look at ctDNA only. So I think uh, a lot of the companies and research groups are starting to look at some of the downstream markers right. as well, which from our standpoint, you know, confirms our fundamental hypothesis that you know the types of compounds that we're looking at. Are uh, uh, as a result of the deranged metabolism of the cancer, and we know cancer has an altered metabolism right. for a long time. So we're fundamentally looking at those downstream markers, which we think are closer to the actual phenotype. And because with breath, uh, a really unique advantage is that with each exhalation, what we can do is trap, store, and enrich the right. organic, the volatile organic chemicals from each breath sample. And that means that you can get amazing sensitivity of chemical detection right. just by sampling for longer. Right. That's easy to sample for longer. Right. People have to breathe, you know, yeah, so they can comfortably breathe. It's not know, like for taking five. a liter of blood or yeah, something. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you can comfortably breathe for five or 10 minutes and your entire blood volume goes around your body and past your lungs once a minute. So by sampling over these longer time frames, you're able to get lower limits of detection of the chemicals derived from bloods And if we're looking at those chemicals, which are a result of the alter metabolism of the tumor, we think there's a good chance there. Again, time will tell. We're running large-scale clinical studies at the moment. The data will be the data, Uh, but I think we also uh, thread in this other approach of using these tracer compounds, these evoke probes, which are more akin to a PET scan, for instance. So I think fundamentally we're very optimistic the breath will have a role to play both in terms of you know performance advantage but also patient preference and cost right. advantage as well
0: we so i mentioned earlier that we recently worked with some of your team members mm-hmm. on a project that you all called pharmacobreathomics yep. which i thought was a really clever name uh, play on the term pharmacogenomics, yep. which is how our DNA affects the way we metabolize drugs and therefore dosing and safety and all kinds of things. Uh, that seems like a new and interesting category for for you all to think about going into. What were your thoughts around pharmacogenomics and, and the potential for breath um, as maybe a better assay for this than, than blood or DNA or other kinds of markers? Yeah,
1: I, I think this is actually the first real example of this exogenous VOC probe approach. So what what we saw was that, you know, you have a pharmacogenomics industry or yep. you know, from your genotype you're trying to tell what, how someone will metabolize a drug. But again, to your point, we know that other factors will change how you will yep. actually metabolize a drug. So if you have grapefruit juice, for instance, you know, that will inhibit and change how you metabolize certain right. drugs. Um, So the problem that you really need to try and solve is I'm about to give you this pill. Is it going to work? Is it going to be toxic for you? So actually your metabolizer phenotype we think is a more valuable measurement as opposed to the genotype, which is static, never changes. Your phenotype does change. So here what we're doing is looking at can we administer uh, very safe compounds? So these evoke probes, which are... uh, uh, you know things like limonene uh menthol those types of things which are ingested go into the bloodstream they're metabolized in the liver by the same enzymes that metabolize pharmaceutical drugs but because these compounds are also volatile you see them present on breath right and because it's very easy and non-invasive to collect multiple samples on breath you can collect you know five six seven samples see how the concentration of those compounds are changing over time and from that, try and infer how you would metabolize pharmaceutical drugs, which could be right. you know, antidepressants or right. you know, different uh, different drugs. Because we know, you know, uh, we spend a trillion dollars a year on drugs. Forty percent don't work, and seventy percent of all drugs are metabolized right. by four enzymes. In the liver. So, yeah, you know, if we can get to a situation where you can better understand how you will metabolize drugs at the outset, that will lead to benefits for the patients.
0: Right. I think it's an amazing insight that you can insert this, I think you referred to it as an exogenous compound. So, I guess limonene is a citrus fruit yep. related enzyme, right, or a compound. So, yep. you can basically see what happens to this known compound and then use that to predict what would happen if you were taking an antidepressant or an anticoagulant if you have a cardiac problem or or what have you it's i, th- I think it makes total sense and i've always wondered pharmacogenomics seems like it's the co- it's the concept that almost every textbook refers to as the best application of Mm. genetics. We can use genetics to tell people you should have twice the dose and you should have half the dose or you shouldn't take this because it's not safe for you based on your enzyme. But the reality is there's been less uptake by the clinical community than Mm. most people would have predicted 10 or 15 years ago. Mm. And I think part of the reason might be that the genetics just, even though it's good, doesn't quite map to the phenotype in the way that you'd want. So two people with the same yep. genetic marker can still vary wildly in terms of how well they metabolize. So it seems to me like something like this that's closer to the source. And like you said, measuring it exactly at the point of care or as close as possible gets you gets you much closer to there being real clinical validity to it.
1: Yeah, no, we, we, we think so. You're absolutely right. We're you know, two people may have the same genotype, but there may be an environmental factor that changes yep. their metabolizer phenotype. So again, things like other drugs they're on, you know, right. diet, lifestyle factors, grapefruit juice that inhibits. So you have this issue of phenoconversion where people essentially go from one, you know, particular metabolizer right. type to another metabolizer type. And you wouldn't know that from a genetic test, but we think here, uh, uh, using these uh, very safe compounds, which are metabolized in the same way right. as pharmaceutical drugs, you get a better readout uh, of that.
0: Have you uh, considered inviting identical twins into study design like this to see if you could hold the genetic constant and isolate that environmental component to that's, see if there is any differences? Yeah, there.
1: that's. Uh, I don't think we have actually. Yeah. That is a good idea. Uh, yeah, we've been looking at where you know, using people as their own control. Right. So, you know, you do a test them one day and then you modify right. their phenotype with grip or whatever right, it may right. be, and see how the metabolizer phenotype uh, changes there. But, you know, looking at genetically identical uh, twins would also be a way to do that.
0: So, and this is one of the... Uh, it's a double-edged sword to have such an interesting platform technology because you can think of new ideas like this all day, yes. right? And you all yeah. probably do. And you you have to actually probably spend more time triaging and killing ideas that m- might be interesting but not the best idea out of the hundred you could generate in a week. Probably is yeah, that? Yeah, no, what I, life is I, like
1: I think here? that's a fair point. I think the uh, you know, b- because we've adopted this strategy of making the breath biopsy platform available to the research community right we still get a lot of benefit there because it means that you know we have some top class researchers coming to us you know who will you know, buy our research products and services to see you know can breath biopsy be used and you know really interesting pressing clinical right. problems there as well so that means that we don't necessarily have to make the choice to not do certain things because it's essentially being funded by uh, some of those uh, right. partners Uh, And then when we look at, you know, where we will apply internal resource and funding to clinical studies, it does really have to align with our company mission to save lives or save money through better therapy choice. So that's the kind of prism through which we look through everything. And that's why if we look at early cancer detection, lung cancer, for instance, you know, that's one of the biggest cancer killers. So that's a problem that we really want to try and solve. Uh, And with the uh, drug Metabolism, as well as I said, because there's so many people on drugs that don't work for right. them, uh, we see that as being a, another area where using these exogenous VOC probes and looking at breath compounds right. can, you know, solve a big precision medicine problem.
0: No, that's great. I mean, it's such an amazing vision actually if pe- most people who are listening haven't been to the owlstone medical offices but when you walk in the front door it's painted on the walls the mission to save a hundred thousand lives and a billion dollars and i think that's must be an exciting way to start work every day to come in and be reminded of that mission yeah. i don't know if that was your idea or somebody else's idea but it's a great it's a great way to set the tone yeah
1: it it really came from you know that Understanding the importance of early detection, so I think it was you know, in discussions we have with CRUK, and right. you know they're very uh, they're actively trying to promote the importance of early detection right. as well. And it kind of follows as a consequence of that. Right. It's like you know if you can you know pull the lever to pick up more people who early stage cancer, it's just unbelievable the amount of lives that you save. So for us, we said you know as a company we want to, uh, we want to save lives. That's why we uh, spun the company out. And that gives us uh, a, a, something which is very motivating day in, day out, but also a way for us to uh, look at, you know, different applications to say, well, does this align to the company mission? Uh, And if it doesn't, we don't particularly look at it. And yeah, we focus on those ones where we think it can be a big patient impact.
0: So as we close out here, if you were to, look forward 10 years as uh, so i guess it's a good time to do it 2020 to, yep. to 2030 and <laughs> um, you look back on the past decade what will be what will you call it a success if you guys are able to accomplish how diff- what will the world look like in in 2030 if you guys are able to succeed
1: yeah so i i think there's uh, a few different components to it one, one if you think about the research use of it. You mentioned, Joe, Illumina. We want to become the Illumina of breath biopsies. Right. So to really enable the research community to see what is the utility of breath and volatile organic compounds and breath for different diseases. So that's first. And from that, we then get breath biopsy tests. So we get biomarkers that can be turned into tests. Uh, and our goal will be to have tests in the marketplace, which are routinely picking up People with early stage cancers right. uh, are helping to steer therapy choice and respiratory disease around asthma, and COPD, and are helping to steer uh, what drugs and what dose of drugs uh, patients uh, should take.
0: Great. No, that's a very exciting vision for the future. I think uh, it's interesting to feel like you're at the ground floor of a new category emerging that someday we'll think of breath in the same way we think of blood or saliva or, or, or any other. Um, category of diagnostic that we take. So it's great. Um, If people want to keep track of you and your work, uh, obviously they can visit their website. You guys are on Twitter as well. Do you have a personal Twitter or uh, yes. company Twitter? You do. What uh, is it? It's at uh,
1: it's, uh, Billy underslash Boyle. Great. But Billy has one L because Billy with two L already <laughs> had the Twitter <laughs> yeah. handle.
0: Okay, so you're you're Billy Boyle. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay, underscore perfect. Boyle. Yeah. <laughs> well, wonderful. Thanks so much for taking the time to do the podcast. Uh, it's amazing to hear your story and excited
1: for you all for the future. Thanks a lot. Man. Thanks.